The current crisis in the Middle East has the potential to disrupt global oil supplies and push prices higher. So are experts predicting catastrophic price hikes and long lines at the gasoline pump? I'm Veronica Dudo. Let's find out. This is In America Today from the Ticker News Studios in New York City. Hello and welcome. Coming up with no end in sight for the Israel-Hamas war, the Islamist group Hamas has released four hostages, two of which are American. Plus, as war rages in the Middle East, Congress is entering its 19th day without a speaker. But first... Israeli forces remain poised for a ground assault into Gaza, but have yet to make the move. Meanwhile, airstrikes continue to rain down on Hamas positions in both the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Israel has fired thousands of missiles since Hamas's October 7th assault on Israel. As the world watches the ongoing conflict, the head of the International Energy Agency says the Israel-Hamas war is not good news for oil markets already stretched by cutbacks in oil production from Saudi Arabia and Russia. For more, we're joined by Greg Halter, the Director of Research at Carnegie Investment Council. Greg, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Veronica. So will the conflict push oil prices higher and keep markets volatile? Always a good question. Our, our view is that the uh, macro news, macro events is what drives the price of oil in the short term. However, the global supply and demand situation is really the determinant uh, of oil prices over the long term. Um, obviously very volatile in the short term. We've seen oil go from 60 or 70 up to around 90, dipped a bit today. Uh, but again, if you look at the actual supply and demand, that does really not vary that much. In fact, coming out of 2020, I think the um, supply went up 2%, de demand went up 5%. That's from 20 to 21. Um, that's not a, a huge difference versus the price of the actual commodity oil. Now, the international benchmark Brent crude closed at $93 a barrel on Friday. That's up from the $85 back on October 6th, the day before Hamas attacked Israel, killing hundreds of civilians. Now, the IDF says it's preparing for a ground invasion. So fluctuations since the attack have pushed oil prices as high as $96 a barrel. How long could we see a bump and also a fluctuation in the oil prices? Well, to your last point, I, I think we always see fluctuations in many of the commodities, oil being high, high, high profile, no question. You know, everybody gets in their vehicle, unless you have an electric vehicle, uh, and you drive around and you can see the prices right there in front of you at the gas stations. Uh, as to how long they could stay high, that depends. Obviously, we have the situation, as you mentioned earlier, with Saudi and the cutbacks and Russia and what's going on there. But again, you're looking for maybe 103 million barrels a day versus uh, that's pretty equal in terms of supply and demand. Again, that's what we think drives the ultimate price of, of oil over the long term. Again, short term is driven by these macro events, news stories and so forth. 
Um, so for us, it's anyone's guess. It's interesting. I'm here in Northeast Ohio, and I was paying $2.82 a gallon two weeks ago for uh, gasoline. And I know parts of the country in the U.S. are $6, maybe higher than that. So you can't just look at this in any one region and say, well, this is what's going to be happen throughout the, the rest of the country, let alone the rest of the world. While developing countries that import oil and other fuels would be most affected by higher prices, what can we expect here in the U.S.? Interesting you should ask on a day that uh, Chevron has announced an acquisition of Hess, and we also know that uh, Exxon is buying PXD resources. Uh, that was announced maybe a week or so ago. That does not really change the supply dynamics because both of those companies are already operating in the Permian basis, uh, Basin. I would think that if you look at where we are, we're at about 13 million barrels a day. That's close to, a, I believe, a record for the U.S. Um, I would expect there at these prices, the companies to continue to invest in exploration, maybe not as much as they did five or 10 years ago, because shareholders are looking for returns in terms of dividends, um, share repurchases. Interesting to note that both of these acquisitions, which were 60 billion and 50 billion or so, were both done on a stock for stock basis, not cash. So th those are both interesting uh, points. And I will point out also that uh, you know Warren Buffett started to take a stake in Occidental Petroleum through its preferred about a year ago and has over the last year gone into the common stock as well, owning currently just under 25%. So these are some smart operators, Exxon, Chevron, uh, Warren Buffett, uh, they see what's going on. It looks like oil could be higher for longer as well. And we've had that same conversation for uh, or with interest rates, but I don't think you're gonna get that high. We're not gonna see $120 oil, I don't think, because then everyone will be rushing out to uh, buy EVs and so forth. And then the price of the oil comes back down again. So I think a balance and probably the 60 to 90 range is not a bad area. Now, what are investors looking to as a safe haven while these geopolitical risks continue to grow? Good question. Um, if you look at safe havens, I mean, number one is the U.S. Treasuries and Treasury bills right now. I mean, you can get five, five and a half percent and take basically no credit risk. Uh, five, five and a half percent is not a bad rate. Um so in that perspective, even money market funds, obviously the rate fluctuates with what happens in the bond market. But right now, as a safe haven, that's about as safe as you can get. Has it been the case in the past that growing global tensions push investors into treasuries for safety reasons? I think it has been. Again, it's, it's front page news. It's top of the mind news. You usually see this flight to quality, and again, treasuries being um, full faith and credit of the U.S. government. Historically, that has been a place where investors have gone to seek safety. And with about a minute left, there is so much risk in the world, and it comes at a time where the Fed has raised rates 11 times. So they are now totaling five and a quarter percentage base 
points, taking the benchmark rate at its highest level in some 22 years. What do you make of this current environment with everything that's happening? Well, it's certainly been a very rapid increase and maybe the most rapid in the history of the country. Um, we do think, though, that we're closer to the end. And if anything, we would be lengthening duration in our bond portfolios at some point here. We're not there yet, but I think we're getting there. Greg Halter, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. As Israel prepares to invade the Gaza Strip, many families of hostages taken by Hamas are pleading with the government to negotiate the release of their loved ones. This comes as the Islamic group Hamas just released the first hostages, a mother and daughter from the United States, and then two elderly Israeli women. Yuri Renan has been waiting for two weeks for news that his wife and daughter are safe. Now Judith and Natalie Renan, kidnapped by Hamas, in its October 7th assault on southern Israel, have been freed. The Americans were handed over to Israeli forces at the Gaza Strip border on Friday and are the first Hamas captives whose release has been confirmed by both sides. I haven't been sleeping for two weeks. Tonight I'm going to sleep good. I spoke with my daughter earlier today. She sounds very good. She looks very good. She was very happy and she's waiting to come home. Her mother has a little scratch on her hand, but she told me it's nothing. She's okay. In Evanston, Illinois, the Renard's hometown, the Jewish community gathered for a candle lighting in celebration marking the start of the Sabbath. Judith and 17-year-old Natalie were among around 200 hostages taken by Hamas during its deadly rampage in which 1,400 people were killed. Hamas said they were freed for humanitarian reasons in response to Qatari mediation. U.S. President Joe Biden thanked Qatar and Israel for their partnership in securing the Renan's freedom. And hopefully I'm going to see them next week. Next week is Natalie's birthday on the 24th. And we're going to celebrate her birthday here in my home. Israel has retaliated for the Hamas attack with a sustained bombardment of Gaza, one of the most densely populated places on earth. More than 4,100 Palestinians are reported to have been killed amid a growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza. As war rages in the Middle East, the U.S. Congress is entering its 19th day without a speaker. Now several candidates are throwing their hats in the ring ahead of a ballot vote on Tuesday. The conference, it was an honor to be there, uh, speaker designated. But hardline conservative Jim Jordan is no longer that. His pursuit of becoming the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives ended on Friday after a third failed vote on the House floor. A speaker has not been elected. Republicans then voted 112 to 86 to revoke Jordan's nomination in a closed-door meeting. I told the conference that I appreciated getting to work with everyone, talk with everyone. I got to know members in our conference that I didn't really know that well over the last three weeks. And that... Um, we, uh, we, we need to come together and figure out who our speaker is going to be. I'm going to work as hard as I can to help that individual so that we can go help the American people. Support for Jordan's bid faded this week as the Ohio Republican got less votes on Friday than he did on Tuesday. 200 votes. Well short of the majority, he needed to claim the speaker's gavel. But it remains unclear who Republicans might throw their support behind next. Lawmaker Kevin McCarthy 
who was ousted as speaker by a small faction of his fellow Republicans nearly three weeks ago, said the party is in need of repair. Jim is no longer going to be the nominee. We'll have to go back to the drawing board. What history will look at, the crazy eights led by Gates, the amount of damage they have done to this party and to this country is insurmountable. The chamber remains leaderless and, as of now, is unable to respond to President Joe Biden's request for aid to Ukraine and Israel. But could next week be a game changer? Hi, everybody. Here's acting House Speaker Patrick McHenry, who at one point this week was considered to be given more authority until Republicans ultimately rejected that temporary backup plan. House Republicans will return on Monday at 6.30 p.m. for a candidate forum, followed by uh, an election process on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. The reason why I made that decision is we need space and time for candidates to talk to other members. Republicans Austin Scott and Kevin Hearn said they would try for the speaker's job, and Jody Arrington said he would make a decision by Sunday. For more, head to tickernews.co. I'll see you soon. More right after this. 